Hello, and welcome to episode 199 of Relics of Ore. I'm your host, Rybok, and joining me this evening are my wonderful co-hosts, Spirit and Vrabin. It's really hard to say co-hosts and transition it into Spirit, but I do it every time. Uh, how are you doing this evening, Vrabin? I'm doing well. I was just handed a uh, Warcraft 3 Battle Chess CD that I have to install, so I might be playing some Warcraft after this, for oh. your information. And I'm glad to be here. My god, that's that's great. I actually found a stack of old dvds and cds actually yeah cds they were they're way too old to be dvds from way back in the day with a whole bunch of old games and stuff that i used to used to play the nostalgia is real I'm, I'm not even joking between the pre-show that we just had and then when you started recording i this was put in my hand so yeah it's fortuitous that's that's great uh, how are you doing this evening spirit i am good i don't have any plans to play games that are older than i am but uh mm. i'm doing all right and antagonizing my co-hosts these damn kids oh jesus i wasn't ready to feel old yet anyway (laughs) so we have a ton to talk about and it's probably going to be somewhat rambly because so many of these things intertwine with one another so easily and we're ramble pantsy type of hosts anyway but the new living world chapter has come out and so we have all sorts of things to talk about i think we are mostly going to try and focus on discussing story and lore implications this episode so spoiler warning pretty much the entire episode is going to be about that but it's also been a week since the chapters came out so you know if you are listening to this and you haven't played them and you care about spoilers now is the time to turn back and and wait until you've done that before going forward otherwise we're probably not really going to spoiler warning anything else so that is the bulk of what we're planning to talk about tonight and then some other rambling meandering issues and i think we're planning to talk about things like the map design and those types of things sometime probably next week yes yes sounds great also, do we want to uh, address the elephant in the room at least briefly? Yeah, I want to say something about it. Okay. Yeah, I want you to get at it. Okay, so in the last week or so, there have been a large number of really unfortunate leaks about the next expansion. Um, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of information that people would consider extremely spoilery, and we are not going to cover it other than to warn you that that information is out there because um, it has reached a critical mass, I feel, in that it's probably in map chat and probably around Reddit and anything you engage with um, over the next while has the potential to be spoiling. Even even if people aren't uh, intending to, things slip and unfortunately that information is out there. Um, if you are determined to spread it or you know engage with it at least be considerate of others and do that in private channels or uh like one of the problems that was happening a lot is people had it spoiled for them because a major news outlet put it in their header image and so it was auto embedding in tweets and discords as people linked that article around uh, which basically said there are leaks but uh also just continued to spread them so Um, If you have to do that, just be careful about how you do it and be respectful of others. And if you want more information about it, we're going to link a video to Wooden Potatoes. He's got a really nice, uh, concise nine-minute video on the whole situation that will cover it a little bit more than us. But we're 
taking basically the same tack that he is in that video where, uh, yeah, there's some cool stuff that we can't wait to talk about when ArenaNet says it officially. So that is the extent of it, I think. Yeah, I saw that Wooden Potatoes video right when it came out, and it really did say a lot of good things that really especially resonated with us as content creators, because he's largely talking about things like how difficult it makes our job to do these things, because it's mm-hmm. really it's really hard to make speculation when you ostensibly know the answer, but unofficially, because, you know, like... How, you can you can just like pretend that you don't, but then you're stuck in a situation of do I do I want to explicitly spread these leaks and perpetuate them, or you know do do we want to just pretend that we don't know anything even though we clearly do, and so we make up wrong. Yeah, it's 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 you're right. It's really hard to do speculation when you unofficially know something that's not official, but it's official. Yeah. yeah. So as as much as we can, we're going to just try and avoid talking about it or delving into it or perpetuating them and we are which is hard because i ran across a couple things that i didn't know they were even leaks until i heard that there was a leak but i'm not as connected to reddit and stuff as you guys either but yeah it's 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 a rough situation yeah it's it's frustrating but anyway on on the other side of that a little bit i can't help but to feel and maybe i'm just being um, a cynic but i almost feel like this is no i think it's more of a cynic than being crotchety um, I almost think that is this just new, the uh, new form of advertising because you know internet culture and stuff. It, a leak is so much more tantalizing and interesting than a press release. You know, it's not official, so the internet just comes to it in droves. You know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that would be very cynical. I highly doubt it. With just based on the trends of their everything especially um, their communication policy i do not believe that they have done an instantaneous 180 uh, but you know who knows i could be wrong there um i so i i'm firmly in the camp that they did not do this on purpose and in the there was an ama after the patch as there always is with the living story things and the the bulk of these leaks is now uh, you know like a week week and a half old information but uh it happened right before this AMA, and so people were waiting for a response from Mike O'Brien in this AMA. And he essentially says, uh, well, it's a longer person. I should probably just link the comments, but uh, he talks about it without really talking about it. Like, he, he knows it's out there, um, and he says specifically things about, like, it can hurt the game in this way and this way. And so um, we're, you know, we're relying on you, the community, to do your best about this and also like this is the point i really want to hammer home uh i don't know i'm not sure if it was in the same comment but in the same uh ama it was said that with episode five being the penultimate episode of the season there will be an episode six and then they are going to release the expansion essentially in the same cadence as the living story so in that sort of in the same breath we got the uh expansion to is is distant on the horizon to that is not you know maybe like four to eight months away um depending on how he says it'll probably be later in the cadence it's not gonna be like every two months it'll probably be a little bit bigger of a gap but suddenly uh it went from a nebulous idea that we knew nothing about to wow, there's actually like kind of a time frame for this to release. So that's kind of crazy. Like that's all happened in this last week. 
And I have to wonder how much of how much he would have revealed had the leak not happened. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that he handled yeah. what he said well, you know, to to not pretend that the leak didn't happen, but at the same time to sort of say, you know, guys, please be respectful of others. Sort of the same thing that we led this podcast with. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just, you know, I we complain a lot about the communication policy shifting to never telling us anything until it's right about to happen. And it seems uncharacteristically charitable to be told this clear of a timeline. So not, you know, I'm not condoning the leaks at all, but I do have to wonder if the only reason that we know the rough timeline of the expansion is because it happened in the first place, but yeah, that is a bit strange. Anyway, that's, that's not either there. But, Let's talk about story. Yeah, I was going to say, we need sure. to address it because a lot of people, I'm sure, especially listeners of a podcast, are going to have either seen the leaks or know about them, and I figured that we should make an official comment on it before we continued with the rest of the episode so that the question was not lingering in any folks' minds. But as Brabin said, on to the story. Wooden Potatoes needs you know, us to prop him up a little bit. you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totes. He needs, he needs us. Yeah. Our podcast, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so this they really front loaded the story on this episode. I feel like well, okay. Was it the first instance you're in that the big reveal happened and we saw someone from you know what ten years ago? If I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. What yep. did you guys think about that? Do we need to do? We lead up to that a little bit, maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh... Yeah. Who wants to start? I mean. <laughs> Okay, you start getting a call from Timey, right? And Timey's yeah. like, we need to try out my new um, reconfiguration of Omad's dream machine because I've made it so we can smash Jormag and Primordius against each other. It'll be this epic fire and ice, hopefully fizzle out, and we'll take care of two dragons at once. Come watch me test it. So you get there, and you know, it's a normal, you know, we're used to this, uh, this formula by now. You know, you fight some things, a little bit of story, you fight some things. And we're fighting, you know, dragon minions. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, what's his name? Uh, the Marjorie Lazarus. Lazarus. Lazarus, who we know isn't Lazarus at this point, shows up. And Cass has an idea to, uh, Casimir has an idea to um, get rid of the, the, the cloaking image, you know, the, the mirage that is hiding him. And you do it, and then it is spirit. Uh, a cat. It's not a cat. <laughs> it's uh, friggin' Balthazar. It's, it's a lol cat. It's... <laughs> oh. Did you guys see all of the the comics leading up to it when people were speculating who it was? No, I didn't see. There was oh, there's a ton of fantastic. I'll see if I can find it to link in the show notes because I'm sure people would enjoy it. There was like a fantastic uh, four panel comic where people were like, "Oh no!" It was like a picture of Casimir, and she's like, "Oh, it can't be no!" And then it pans over to Lazarus, and it's like, "It's a dog," or "It's all the mini Queen Jennas you've deleted." <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of really funny things. The personified spirit of the tormented souls of tens of thousands of Queen Jennas. Yeah, that's, yes. that would yeah, be that's, horrifying. That's, that would be much more horrifying. Uh, oh, yeah. man. Man, that's great. No, this yeah. reveal is crazy, and I'm really... I've said it several times in the show notes, but I'm really sad that we couldn't get Shungaku on this episode because yeah. I feel like he had to have lost his freaking mind with this. Yeah. With the amount of... Well, I didn't... I didn't believe it. I'm like, no, what? But no, I can't Balasor. Is it April Fools? Is my calendar wrong? This isn't right. <laughs> right? It's crazy. I, for anybody who didn't, I mean, they they did address it, but for anybody who didn't play Guild Wars One, Balthazar is the human god of death. I mean, the the lore is all over the place in Guild War. War. Or, sorry, War. Yes. Um, it, 
is the human god of war and i mean the lore is all over in this game but in in guild wars one you go and help balthazar claim his domain from a usurper that... his brother menzies yeah right and like balthazar was uh we never uh, interacted with him directly never interacted directly with maybe but the muse of the gods in guild wars one and also true. we got one right there and it's like oh and, and it's like we know this is balthazar what it was it was yeah it was very surprising yeah it's i mean this is pretty crazy i i guess the the closest we came to interacting with a god would be uh, cormir slash abaddon but yeah. that's sort of a special situation i suppose i think you know i'm jumping ahead here i wonder if cormir has something to do with this you know i never trusted her look it's always when Cormier's she usurped fault. she usurped you know shungaku's godhood when we were playing it and he was you know the lead character so he was standing there it was yeah it's been downhill since then yeah, there's some really interesting theories bouncing around about uh, how this ties into sort of existing lore. Um, mm-hmm. One of my personal favorites is that uh, the mirror which was enchanting Balthazar, um, Cormier, not Cormier, gosh, I'm going to get everyone's Lissa. names. Casimir oh. okay. uh, speculates that it was enchanted by Lissa herself. So yeah. people are oh, running yeah. with this this speculation. And who who do we know? that are mesmers, two people that are very close to each other, extremely powerful, uncharacteristically powerful mesmers. Oh, yeah. Jenna and Anise. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, that could be a really, really cool storyline, and I'm it's, all in for that. Being it's mesmerception <laughs> all the way down. Like. Yeah, and it, there's even, um, I can't remember if it was Wooden Potatoes or people were talking about it. What, what if, like, uh, for people who aren't familiar, Lissa is actually two gods, Lys and Ilya. Yep. Um and people were speculating, well, what if what if one of them is on board with Balthazar, but the other one isn't? Like, what what can oh. that mean? There's there's so many doors that Arena has just thrown open right now. The uh, other th- their heating bills are going to go through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that um I maybe not immediately, but it was maybe after I finished that that section, was thinking of is if it really is Lissa that put up the uh, mirage for him. Um, not with saying if it's Queen Jenna and Anise. Um, the fact that Casimir could break it, that, you know, mortals could actually compete with this, shows, it illustrates, you know, what's going on so much with the magic just being freely tossed about and everything in such disruption, that we've got mortals. I guess they're not normal mortals, but still mortals walking around with the power to break god mirages. God mortals mesmer, walking so. amongst mere gods. Yeah, and so I think that illustrates you know how much more powerful the Guild Wars 2 characters are to the Guild Wars 1 characters. Um, and just how much magic is floating around and, and what our, our player characters are actually starting to you know get at. I, I thought that struck me knowing the lore and everything. Well, but, the surrounding about it. But also, uh, with regard to Guild Wars 1, I mean, we did some pretty godly things in Guild Wars 1 as well, especially things in the underworld with dealing with Doom, the you know prior god of of death that had it before grenth uh, with assisting balthazar like why would balthazar need mortal assistance to kill a bunch of dudes unless you know you're yeah. actually able to help i mean there's well in guild and- wars one i felt like we did it smarter and i'm what i'm getting at here i think the mortals have more raw magical power now i mean maybe yeah it's it's hard to say it's i the other thing is that the human gods are in a very a very strange place in in terms of normal fictional writing because mm-hmm. they it's explicitly stated somewhere deep in the guild wars lore that humans didn't come from this planet we were brought here by our gods like 
we don't even necess- they're not necessarily our creators they're just our gods in quotes yeah. but that's um, true with all that's true with all the races on Terry, isn't it i mean even the char aren't native no char to- were native at least my understanding is i mean humans basically just invaded the char home I thought I thought one of uh, the lower officianos in our guild said that even the char weren't native originally, but I may be mistaken. I I could be as well. That's that's a little bit less covered. It's less well known, I guess, than the human lore since Guild Wars mm-hmm. One was very human centric. But we we know that the gods of of Tyria were very much in in many ways sort of like Greco Roman gods. They mm-hmm. have much more humanized. Uh, emotions struggles drama so to speak you know um there's yeah and so it's really and a lot of that was illustrated for us in uh you know the or campaign which i thought was interesting that it was illustrated more you know with mm. we saw things um that uh um, grenth was according to the things we learned in aura in, in in or the uh you know child of uh what's her name duena duena yeah yeah and i i don't know that we knew that pre um before that yeah i mean so it's never been clear exactly what the relative power level is for uh for the gods versus humans i mean it's it it's entirely possible that all of the gods were once human and Mm -hmm. so that sort of opens the door to you know a possibility that perhaps they sort of occupy or or possess some sort of magical mantle or mandate or mm-hmm. you know position i mean again cormir was human and became a god so it i mean who knows it, like it's not entirely inconceivable for humans to be able to defeat these and i mean at the same time we defeated elder dragons which are literal forces of nature so uh yeah but i think putting putting what you're saying what i said before that together i think it shows that we're kind of in the uh, the time um whether it's a cycle or not where you know gods are made this is the time where balls are could be thrown and someone else could take over whether that's his brother menzies and i think that's another one of the theories that's floating around you know is he did he drain um um you guys familiar with the, like the the rogue god theory or the not um uh, rogue god theory where some people think that balthazar um is you know gone rogue and he's gone against humanity and the other gods aren't with him yeah, it's a definite mm-hmm. possibility. And I mean, if that's if that's a possibility, then maybe he's just draining um, uh, dragons so he can take out Menzies, because that's what we were doing, helping him with in Guild Wars One. So I mean, it just opens up so many like 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 spirits that heating bills, right? Yeah, I mean, it's heating bills are about to go nuts. I guess it's cooling bills, right? Because it's summer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To to that note, didn't he say something about being betrayed or or abandoned yeah. by the others yep. in the well, last yeah, story instance? Um... You There's something that. specifically oh, yeah. about, like, they stole my light or something. I'll see if I can dig up the exact quote, because it's interesting. Right, and, I mean, that would definitely support sort of uh, some form of answer to why would Balthazar go to the trouble? Why would a god go to the trouble of having a human illusion if he's, you know, a god? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I guess sort of more what I was trying to get across was not so much that maybe we are weaker than it seems or something as mm-hmm. much as maybe gods are weaker than as regular real life humans we would attribute the the power of something we would call a god to be you know mm-hmm. um but yeah anyway uh, so many questions anyway that was that was a huge reveal for an opener of the episode uh so anyway so in, in some ways all, oh, it ahead. was just like Duh, because I mean, remember when we we're playing Orin is born, you know, a few episodes ago or whatever, 
and um, he comes in and it's just fire burning everything. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, fire god, duh. Sure, right. Uh, it's, yeah, um, it's a lot to process. Go ahead. Sorry, just to just to cover this now, the, the interesting and relevant lines of dialogue are actually from the final uh, uh, instance of the chapter. And we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to this later. But the, the really interesting ones are um, the character is arguing with Balthazar and he says, your kind will not stop my campaign. And you say, Balthazar, what you're doing, you'll destroy Tyria. And he says, your home is a trivial concern. They abated me, dimmed my light, but they will see me now. And then you say, um, oh, there's a couple more lines. And he goes, I've learned that there is no honor in war, which is also very interesting because he is the, he has been the god of war. But those are the sort of three lines that people are really interesting, are really interested in for theorizing. Like, he doesn't care about preserving Tyria. His, he doesn't care about war anymore. Like something has soured that for him. Well, maybe and he cares about war. Least... He just doesn't. He's lost his sort of morality. Sure. Yeah, I can rock with that. And then uh, the other one is that he's he's been offended by like someone, like a, a group of people has has abated him and dimmed his light. So is it is it us? Like is he upset about not being worshipped anymore, or is he upset about uh, you know the other gods? Like that. Those are the sort of relevant points. That is interesting because I, what I took from it the, when I played through it, I thought he was talking about the dragons. Like the dragons have sucked out mm. magic and dimmed. That's exactly what I didn't think about it any further than that. But that's just what I assumed when I heard it. But that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's actually an interpretation that hadn't occurred to me. I was definitely thinking more in terms of the gods, since from Guild Wars One we have you know specific instances of mm-hmm. gods uh, sort of throwing shade at each other and uh, you know dethroning or powering yeah. up one another so that it remains sort of my instant thought it remains to be seen if lissa was actually shrouding him miraging him whatever you want to call it um if she was doing that then they're working together or at least two gods are working together um which means you know that, that kind of throws the single rogue god theory out but yeah just, it could go so many ways man you should I mean, go to it, the next good it could also just be an artifact of lissa right like it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to it's be true. something that she was actively maintaining as much as something that she had created that had a specific power i mean yeah yeah, yeah there, i mean know. there's also the people are people are heavily debating whether he it was a gift or he stole it like that could mm-hmm. be a, a way of it too yeah boy anyway well so that was the first instance uh that was uh, a big a big start to the the episode a big start to our episode also both our episode and the uh episode of the game yeah. From there, we sort of get to enter our new map, Draconis Mons. We're, as I said, we're sort of probably going to focus a little bit more just on the story aspects of it. So we'll probably just be talking about the sort of questing that you do as part of the Did story. I just say, though, I love this map so much and I can't wait to talk. Like, I have so much to say about when we do it. Um, if you are really interested in lore and especially Gilders One more lore, I highly recommend doing two things in this map. Um, the first is the collection for finding all of Zinn's recorders um, and the second is the druid stone backpack because if you do that um, you will not only get most of the other achievements in the map because it, it almost takes you on like a tour of the map to to complete this uh, ascended backpack collection but additionally for every step of the collection there are four NPCs that you have to go talk to and they give you some pretty crazy not, I, I wouldn't say crazy, but really interesting lore about the zone itself 
the history of the Druids and where they came from, tying back to Henshiften Ravi and Gildor's one. And I, I have been loving this. It's it's pretty heavily time gated, unfortunately. Like that's one thing that it has uh going against it that's pretty sad. But the unlocking these NPCs and having different dialogue from them for each collection has been fascinating. And I can't wait to talk about that next week because it's so cool to me. How pertinent is the mastery for uh, that, that collection? Uh, I would say minimally so. You need it. I don't think you even need it, really. Um, you have to go talk to... Essentially, the like the, the loop of the collection is you go um, complete all of the hearts in the zone and buy a karma item from the vendors, and you combine five of those to make a stone... And then you present the stone to the druid as like a token of your um, devotion to learning the nature magic of the druids. Um, and then it sort of remixes it and gets more advanced for each tier. So you you do that and then you present a flower to each of the druids. And then the next time you make three of those stones and you present more flowers to each of the druids and they all give you a little bit of lore. And the main one who's helping with you teaches, it, teaches you more about... Um, you're essentially making yourself uh, dedicated to these druids to craft this backpack. Um, but it, it's mostly doing hearts, turning in um, fire orchids to NPCs, and doing the champion events. So in if the you're zone. a human character, you got to find someone to look up to now that you know the God of War has turned his back on you. Aww. Yeah, it's super cool though. Like I, I genuinely, I, I'm so hyped to talk about this because I, I think lore-wise, it might be my favorite zone in the game right now. I can understand that. I mean, you've got this is this is like Zin stuff. It was that was so cool to me that we've got more from him. What he's doing, you know, beyond Radanovis. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we can still talk about Zin because that, at least to some extent, it directly ties into what you have to do for the story aspect of of the of the journey. Right? You get to this, you get to this interior of this crazy, super verdant volcano. It's full of bioluminescent plants and well, before before that though um balthazar is there to steal timey's machine true yes that's correct yes so, so yeah he... go ahead uh i guess we should also uh should we say something about casimir has reappeared for the first time in like years yeah and she's got wearing a ponytail <laughs> yeah well she got a new outfit like the rest of uh that for sale in the gem Dragon's store Watch. like right when destiny's orphans destiny's i orphans. forgot their name <laughs> Uh, it's Dragon's, Dragon's Watch, Watch right? It Although, is Dragon's okay. Watch. Like, Destiny's Orphans is a better name. I'm gonna call into question the name Dragon's Watch after this episode. Just feels inappropriate. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so Casimir's back. Uh, Marjorie comes in in like the brief moment before um, Lazarus gets there because like he's pursuing her, mm-hmm. and they have some dialogue like while you're doing other tasks so you might miss it um and they are not having a good time right now (laughs) they actually getting a bit of a fight and aren't um having a great time in their relationship i was i felt like i was having flashbacks to the cw like this felt like the guild wars cw version of a relationship like (laughs) (laughs) why didn't you talk to me about this decision uh i was kind of busy uh we have freaking instantaneous communication and teleportation that's not really a good excuse uh yeah (laughs) yeah that's true uh i'm sorry i'm sorry casimir i think it's over (laughs) But they they kept they kept it uh you know the arguing was kept under a 
veneer of civility, at least. I, I kind of like that in the writing. I mean, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, relationship drama, so funny. Yeah, I, so, I... Okay, hold on. I, I'm talking more about um, the, the witty back and forth between Lazarus and uh, Marjorie than what you guys are talking about. But yeah, I, I, get your, I know what you mean now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, also, can we talk about how kind of weird Casimir's shutdown was, I guess That was kind of weird, yeah. Like, I understand... Right, so when, when Balthazar's identity is revealed... She just sort of flips out and just like covers her head and well, and then just like whoop whoop whoops the hell away. I uh, thought it was more. <laughs> I thought it was more. I mean, there was the the initial shock of it being Balthazar, but then it seemed to me that she was more shocked and not sure she could continue on with this plan against one of the gods when Lissa was in on it too, or possibly in on it. Yeah, it, to and me, that's just. I think it just know, yeah, un- unpack that. It just sort of read funny to me because the way that she reacted almost made it feel like she had some sort of PTSD about the situation, which mm-hmm. seems super unlikely given the situation. Um, and, you know, it's not like Balthazar directly threatened her or anything like that. I don't know. It's just mm-hmm. it felt a little off. I do think that from a narrative perspective, the idea of potentially going up against your own god is a really interesting narrative space to be in and to be investigating and exploring and like i mean can you even imagine if it were the real world and somebody was like yo jesus came back and also he's about to nuke everybody so (laughs) let's uh let's kill that mofo like can you imagine um it ha- I think a lot of it has to do with her entire worldview shifting, right? Because we have we have like the long vision of it, right? All of us played Gilders when we have mm-hmm. we we know of a time when that when the gods were not on Tyria but interacting with Tyria actively, and there was loose transition between the myths. But the gods have been gone for a hundred years longer. I don't know how long. Two hundred ish. Absolutely been cut off, and so um, there's been multiple generations of humans that don't have that sort of interaction with the gods and casimir seem strikes me as more religious than i, I guess religious is the word for it more devout, devout probably than uh many of the other humans but i think the whole like the shift in worldview that happened there is like the gods are on tyria that is huge um, I think that messed her up. And also, oh, I love that they bring back that tiny detail where if Casimir gets nervous, she starts hiccuping. hiccuping. I yeah. love that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, so I guess it makes sense if you put it into, I mean, we were all so shocked. Like, is it Balthazar? It's Balthazar. But if you put it in the context of, you know, Balthazar being back has real and full implications to your well-being and or existence. And even more so if you're a human, it makes a little more sense. Yeah, I, I guess what I was trying to say is that it makes sense for her to be super conflicted. I just felt like the execution of it felt odd. But oh, sure. well, I'm just used to odd execution at this point. Playing <laughs> did any of us? Uh, did any of us play on human characters? By the way, I played on a Silvari. I did too. Okay, I figured that. I've, I was. I haven't played it myself on a human character, but I have also heard the critique that um, the human player character doesn't doesn't react to it. <laughs> like as much as Casimir does, and that was weird because they were just like, "Oh, that's uh, my god." So yeah, what especially if, if that. What if it was? How you what doing? If, what if your what if, like chosen god from the beginning of the human story was Balthazar? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that's yeah, that's what people were commenting on. But maybe um, your human character was an atheist. Yeah, well, I wonder about that too, because I think, uh, at least in my, uh, my, I don't want to say headcanon, but my my understanding of divinity. We can go full headcanon like because because this this sure. new story reveal just makes my headcanon that I've had for you a decade just perfect. Sure. <laughs> well, in my, um, my understanding of of current human culture, which may or may not be accurate based on all of the information that I have, I don't know, whatever. Uh, I feel like at least some of the human population would have either stopped putting their faith in the gods or just kind of given up, right? And that's mm-hmm. how yeah. that's how I feel that my commander would be about uh, Balthazar coming back. She she would be in disbelief, but it's not going to hurt her in that way. She's not beholden to the gods anymore. She doesn't know them. They mm-hmm. they've been gone for so long, and she knows of people that respect the gods. And doesn't have an issue with like other people worshiping, but she doesn't care about it that much, right? So it, it didn't bother me personally, but I can see how people would be upset if like if their commander was like, Balthazar is my jam. Well, <laughs> especially really upset about it. Oh, I really understand what you're saying from your commander's viewpoint, especially after going through or and you know finding these basically machines underneath these shrines or whatever that are responding to whoever actually has control of them, you know. Yeah. So also, I yeah. just had a good laugh to myself about not my commander. But anyway. Uh, not all commanders. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, there was a follow-up that I have. I can't remember what it is now. Oh, another thing is uh, it is revealed to us in this instance that Balthazar is building an army for some reason. And a lot of people... One of the critiques or one of the discussions about it is why is Balthazar building an army? Does he not have one? He's the god of war. Why isn't his army come with him? Why is he using the white mantle? Because it, it's it's uh, well, he isn't using basically. The white he, mantle. he wanted to co-opt the white mantle, right? But it's revealed to us in Draconic Mons that uh, the white mantle was only phase one, and he, in fact, he's imprisoned all of them to replace them with mercenaries from multiple races, which is weird because people keep saying, well. You know, he's a god, right? And he just show up in Divinity's Reach and be like, yep, we're going to go do the thing, and people would just follow him, right? Because he's right. a god. It's go time. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Autobots roll out. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, Queen Jenna, can you uh, drop me a huge Mesmer portal and we'll just, uh, we'll just, we'll just oh roll out god, right here? Oh my god, Balthazar's a world v. world commander. <laughs> Stack on pin. <laughs> Stack on pin. For great justice. Big water, big water. Oh anyway, do yeah, you guys have any comments on the mercenary angle? Well, that, I, that makes sense why he needs an army, because, you know, no one in World v. World ever has supply. <laughs> That's because the other stupid gods don't patch it anymore. Hey. Hey. Uh, no, it, it's it's a good question. I mean, it is. there's definitely a lot to be unanswered, and perhaps that's a, a hint that he is operating sort of on his own because maybe yeah. if Balthazar showed up and tried to co-opt the devout followers, maybe that would prompt a more direct reply from other gods that are, you know, that would be like, mm, but maybe not. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe that's not cool. Balthazar. Um, well, yeah, the other thing is say. if he is, I mean, I'm just thinking this off the cuff right now. If he is gone rogue and he just, you know, drank all of the primordius, you know, Fire Kool-Aid. juice or whatever, Kool Aid. 
whatever. Um, now he's considerably more powerful than them, potentially. What's going to happen now? Are they going to join up just because he is a threat, or are they going to go try to suck up another dragon in order to fight him? Wow. You know, and that talking about this with you guys is really, really making me appreciate the turn the narrative has taken more than I did when I was playing it through the first time. Yeah, there's really a lot to unpack and a whole lot of questions to to be answered that have been raised by this. I mean, if we're operating under a theory that Balthazar has been depowered, then maybe he isn't more powerful than the other gods right now, even with a dragon's uh, essence. Mm-hmm. But this sort of jumping ahead, because that sort of calls into question about the wisdom of stealing a dragon's essence which sort of is what the last story instance is about so let's let's put a pin on that for for a minute um do you guys want to take a brief detour and talk about the quest where we find mox the dervish yes, hero absolutely. Yeah. spirit why don't you go ahead oh goodness i didn't want to talk about it i just wanted to talk about it if you know what i mean um okay go ahead Robert. well no but so i don't know maybe we covered it maybe i'm treading ground again but so you know balthazar steals um timey's machine um flunt actually does something you know uncharacteristically brave oh and my nice God, i can't believe i almost forgot to talk about this because flunt uh you guys know how much we hate flunt yes think everyone flunt is a word that rhymes with flunt and uh i was so amazed that they did something with his character that actually made me root for him mm-hmm. and think he was funny in this instance I actually either blanked it out or didn't notice because I still think he's a flunt. Okay, well, uh, after Balthazar leaves with the machine, he sends in his waves of mercenaries. And, and Taimi wants to risk everyone's life just so they don't... Well, she jokes about it. And, you know, she's half serious because it's Taimi. Wants to risk everyone's life just so she doesn't have to reveal her secret lab. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And who can blame her? Because it's her secret lab. <laughs> well, anyway... Uh, Flint comes out of the lab armed with his army of golems, which is obviously to preserve himself and his research and the things that he perceives belongs to him. But as he's coming out, he says something like, uh, you'll never get me while Flint still fights. You can't orally hear what I did there, but it's very clever because <laughs> he changed fights to PH <laughs> fights instead of F fights. And mm-hmm. I I was totally on board with Flund for like a solid minute, which was amazing <laughs> considering how I felt about him outside of or like before this instance, which I, I thought was just great to uh, have that moment. That makes perfect sense why I didn't really pay attention to that, because I was playing on my sustain build Power Reaper, and I just went ham on all of those enemies solo <laughs> and murdered the crap out of all of them. And it felt glorious. It was everything that I've always wanted to be uh, as a necromancer. Actually- yeah, I'm really glad we got back around to this because I wanted to bring it up as well. I feel like, um, you know, one of the things I've been commenting on over the last couple stories is they they seem to be having a much better sense of scale uh, where you're not just tucked in a little elbow of Tyria. Like, in lore, it would be a big cave, but for you, it's like this little armpit of a cavern mm-hmm. and there's like one guy in there. <laughs> it's like, oh. You know, I I understand in my brain that this is supposed to be significant, but what I'm seeing on the screen is not as cool as what, you know, is happening up here, necessarily, and there's Uh a disconnect. They, and again, in this instance, there was a cool moment where there's, like, these waves and waves of pretty squishy enemies, but you also had your army on your side, and it was, like, a, it was a big, good conflict where you kind of felt like you were just wading through all these enemies and you you felt useful but not overwhelmed yeah. and I, I just thought they had like a really good balance of 
of scale there. I agree with I, that. And I'm going back really to happy. going back to what you said about being, you know, an armpit or not being an armpit of the world <laughs> or whatever. Um, sorry, that could have been a. I, I feel like an armpit of the world is going to make itself into our episode title this week. Oh man! Oh, man. <laughs> uh, there's been. I feel like there's been other better things we've said. I don't know. Anyway, um, it not being an armpit of the world, and it's still a reused. Even though it's a reused world space, they've already been. Um, you know, the lore brought us there for a reason, and it didn't feel like they were putting us back there because they didn't want to make a new area, but because it worked and it was interactive. And I totally agree with what you said about you know um, the waves of enemies in your army. I mean, you still felt useful. I felt like a god of war, so mission <laughs> Which is complete. odd, because you were standing next to one. Uh, yeah, well, not anymore. Opposed to one. Maybe not anymore, huh? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Maybe not anymore. Anyway, um, no, that was great. I did, I sort of forgot to mention that fight also. I, I did really like that. It seemed fun. I can't wait to try it on an elementalist or something that can lay down some <laughs> ridiculous AoE damage, although is super squishy, so we'll see. So yeah, that wrap up that instance. I think yeah, Balthazar makes off with the with o- the Omad machine, and you don't get to see if Timmy's theory is going to work because that was there to test it. Um, you know, clashing fire against ice. Yeah. Yeah. So third attempt to move on to the, from this. Have we <laughs> we gotten everything for that third chapter? That the charm. We I'm really glad we went back though because there was Me some too. really good stuff that I wanted to cover and just had forgotten about. So I'm glad we did that. Um, but after. Balthazar steals this machine. I think Timey, Timey like detects where it went, or I don't know. You find out that it's in the heart of a volcano, essentially. And so we take a submarine out of Radanovas. Marjorie, which, Marjorie knows Rodanovas. that he's building a mercenary army there too. Uh, okay, right. Um, the yeah, so you come uh, on a submarine out of Rada Sum. There's yes. a lot of Radas in this episode. I'm sorry, I got them all mixed up. A um, lot of Rada. Oh, that's a good episode title. Yeah, Rada Rada. Um, yeah, take the submarine to Draconis Mons and you end up there and start exploring. And the first thing you run into, uh, which I was just so happy to see is a druid and not just like a druid that I play in raids. It's a capital D druid, uh, the druids from Guild Wars 1, from Henge of Denravi, like these very cool, very powerful nature spirits. From like um, the springs that are next to Tarir, that I was wondering where they were when Hot came out. Yeah, um, which is just absolutely fantastic. I I I was so excited to see the druids again, and it sets up this. Uh, actually, one of your companions from the vigil in Asura gets kidnapped by these druids and taken up the cliff. You have to go go follow him. Um, yeah, so the you it turns out that Draconis Mons uh, isn't just a volcano it's a garden tended to by these super powerful followers of melandru who who became so devout that they gave up their human forms and merged with nature essentially that's what the druids are Mm -hmm. and then murdered a whole bunch of people i'm sorry not people asura (laughs) oh well (laughs) yeah like the whole one, one of the things i'm so excited to talk about when we get to the zone in general is the really sort of gray area that druids are in. Not not gray, but druids are out to protect nature. And anyone who threatens that is the enemy of the druids. So they're not... They feel as powerful to me in the game. Like, they did a good job of conveying that feeling of how powerful they are to me in the lore to, to me, right? Um, like, again, 
one of my critiques of, of other zones is there is that lore in the zone but I don't necessarily get it. Like it's tucked in NPCs. Um, it's in events that I might not catch as I'm going through. And I don't have a comprehensive idea of, you know, like the flame legion in this area are very dangerous because they are such and such, right? They're just the flame legion. They're mm-hmm. bad guy Joe to me. I don't care about them. The druids are not bad guys. They can be, you can antagonize them or they can be friendly to you. And they run this zone. It is, you are not welcome here. It is, uh, they want you out, but they're willing to cooperate with you if you help them achieve their goals. And I think that's so cool. That That's one of the reasons, I mean, not not this exact reason, but the same kind of uh, relationship, I guess, is why, or not not relationship, that's not the right word, but it's the same reason why people cared about the Mursat in Gilders 1, right? Like, there they were really, these really interesting characters that had... Um, their own motivations. They were going to do whatever it took to achieve them. They were very clear to you. They were antagonistic to you. Um, they could be allied with different groups depending on what aligned with their views. And there were these sort of morally gray characters that were interested in self-preservation. Um, and I feel like that doesn't come across as well in Guild Wars 2 because the Mursat are sort of a former idea. Mm-hmm. But it is coming across to me very strongly with the Druids. And I've, just, I've been flabbergasted by everything I've been learning about them. It's very cool. Yeah, it's cool to actually. I think this is the first time we've seen a. I guess I don't. I don't use. I use the term character loosely, but it's the first time we've seen a character from Guild Wars One being really fleshed out um, in a way that they weren't in the original series in a good way. Because it seems like even with, uh, and even though it's his his appearance is recent, Balthazar. It's like Balthazar and then anyone else that's been brought back from the first game has just been, it's a name that we recognize, but doesn't have a whole lot. And you're right, the druids being fleshed out and going forward is interesting, and um, it's, a, it's a throwback, but it means something now as well. Mm-hmm. And they don't want Balthazar there very much. They're, they're, not, not, they're not fans. I mean, No, he's causing problems. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, so you get there, uh, you meet the druids, capital D. Uh, normal people would go and find the scientist who has the device. I, on the other hand, was intrigued by this water and looking for a chance to parade my underwater legendary. I jumped headlong into it and boiled to death immediately, getting an (laughs) achievement, which was uh, somewhat of a rude awakening. It's a very cruel way to treat those of us with underwater legendaries, but uh, (laughs) it was uh, was actually really funny. I laughed out loud. I (laughs) did not understand what happened to me for a second. Uh, I did not necessarily get that the water was boiling, which I guess really should have been more obvious to me, but I figured it was maybe sort of like just turbulent and it was gas popping up through it, and so it was just causing waves. But uh, I guess if you're in a volcano, water is just common with cold volcanoes. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, hot, yes. Boiling, who knows? It could just be like a hot springs, right? Yeah. But uh, Oh, that was actually where I ran into you, right? Yes. So uh, we, we ended up playing most of this together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh we I I yes, we ran into each other when I was searching for the scientist because and this is sort of veering slightly into map discussion, but I do find the map somewhat confusing sometimes between the three layers because it sort of operates like twin corkscrews and that's not necessarily that hard to follow, but when the quest marker is just a circle on the map, uh it uh there's a lot of there's a lot of places vertically on this map that that could be so anyway i was gliding around and i ran across a spirit and uh 
anyway, so then we continued the story together from then from then onward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I really like the map and its corkscrewiness, its multiple levels. Um I mean it wasn't as bad as Tangled Depths, so um and yeah. I, I like Tangled Depths too, but just having that eased back a little, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a map that I'm gonna be I, I see myself hanging out on it more, um, you know, definitely completing, you know, the lore tips and the lore bits, I should say, and then this and that. But I see myself hanging out on this map more um, than perhaps uh, a Bloodstone Fen or any of the other more recent maps that we've we've had that came out. I think this one just seized me immediately, and I imagine myself self spending more time there. It definitely, I would say, it felt the most like a Heart of Thorns map, especially with the vertical influence, but mm-hmm. also just. Probably just because it's sort of more verdant and jungly themed than the other maps have been, and that being the main theme of Heart of Thorns definitely made it feel that way. Also, it made a lot of use of things like jumping mushrooms and uh, has a lot of speed mushrooms, which exist in the other maps, but I feel like they're either more obvious or more sort of immediately useful. But anyway, you uh, yeah, so you track down the track down the dude and. I don't remember exactly how you. I don't, I'm trying to remember the exact thread on how you run into Mox. Um, I think one of the druid you get to the guy, and the druid says, "Now take your dude and go." And you're like, "But I can't, because I gotta get my Balthazar." <laughs> right. And he says, "Well, okay. Well, if you have to do that, then you've gotta get the protection because he's gone down the." No, uh, you, you have to go to the, the top the before he tells you the protection. He says, "You can yeah. grab your Balthazar and get out of here. He's at the top." And by the time you get there, it's like, you're too late. He went down, and you're like, I gotta get him. He's like, okay, well, I can give you protection, but only I'm only doing this because you're gonna get rid of Balthazar because he's not doing anything that I want him to do. He's worse than you are. You're stepping on that grass. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. And then and then he said, you need the you need the blessing of the other druids, but... Uh, uh, Zin, right? Yes. Yeah, Zin. Zin, this little Asura douche. Uh, you know, not his words, mine, but... Uh, you know, showed up and trapped a bunch of us, you know, hundreds of years ago, and uh, we're mad, so you gotta help us out. Uh, and then that's how you run into to Mox, who sort of explains the situation, and then you have to go around to various vaults and devices that Zin created that he sort of trapped the druids for, I don't know, Asura reasons? Was, was all of them trapped? I thought only one was trapped. You just had to have the keys, the vaults, because they, I don't know, maybe I misunderstood that. Spirit, do you remember? Um, I I thought like each one had had a druid in it, or maybe I'm maybe it's yeah. just the oh one. the vaults. I they, they were all trapped. I'm, I'm I'm go ahead, or I'm no, just mumbling ahead. to myself. You. The um inquest had one, and that's the one that was like sort of moved, but they were all trapped by Zin, I think. Yeah, except yeah. I, uh, except for the one that the inquest were yep. experimenting on, which is arguably a worse fate, I think. Yeah. The Zin quest. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so you go around and save all the druids. Uh, I guess I really love what they did with Mox. Um, his, yeah, back to Mox. His voice lines were really cool. They were. Um, just just in the style, like the way they're voiced, the, the little stutter, the special effects on them were absolutely wonderful. And it was just so cool to see Mox again. Yeah. Uh, talk about a Guild Wars 1 flashback. Uh, if you don't know, Mox was a hero in Guild Wars 1, and heroes were... Um, so much better like than henchmen. NPC companions that you could take around. So if you were going to say go do a dungeon instead of filling your party with five players, you could fill your party with five or yourself and four NPCs that had had player skills that or you 
you seven. tweaked to your desire. Yeah, at, at different points throughout the game, but uh, just uh, making a Guild Wars 2 analogy for those who were not fortunate enough to get, have played Guild Wars 1. Well, and the, the big distinction, too, is Guild Wars 1 came with henchmen, which Rabin mentioned, which just sort of had pre, pre-made pre builds, but heroes were distinct because you got to fully customize their build, just like yeah. if they were players, yep. and you got more control over them. So Mox was this hulking golem hero that you got, and uh, yeah, w- wasn't he added post, like, so, like in Eye of the North or something? I think he was added after Eye of the North was live, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, was he added in War and Crida? No, it was before War and Crida, because I was play- like I was. I owned Guild Wars one from about the time a little bit after I the North came out, but my computer wasn't good enough to play it, and so I didn't get to play it till later on. Uh, but Mox was out uh, before I started playing, but War of Crida was after it, so i at okay. least know that they're not at the same time but yeah but zin did play a big part in that because warren cried you had more mersat and zin was able to figure out further than you had before um um resisting the agonizing touch you know the spectral agony mm-hmm. but yeah the lines going back to the lines they were great and they conveyed a little bit of almost you know that interesting idea that so many different you know uh narratives um stories what have you um go through is with with you know a an ai that has been around for so long that it's achieved kind of this adorable sentience i mean i kind of felt like it was Aww. mox um mox uh, uh merged with uh you know wally kind of yeah i was just gonna bring up uh when you you talk to him and eventually he goes ah yes um i will follow you like he says something specifically about following you and then uh he's upset because he has to say goodbye to webby mm-hmm. and you you ask him to say goodbye and he was like okay i'll engage goodbye protocols and i was like no <laughs> you forced me baby mox but um, then i inappropriately went and killed webby's mother yeah wow me too <laughs> i was there i participated in that um so he specifically says he'll follow you and then he doesn't uh turn up for the rest of the chapter which is a little bit odd but if you go to your home instance after you have completed the chapter uh mox will be there and he has some fantastic lines of dialogue about your cats if you're keeping track of your cats mox will clean up your cat hairballs and if you wait and sit there long enough um a little spider will run out from under him named webby so he did not engage his goodbye protocols. He took Webby to your home instant. I mean, based on that boss encounter, I would submit that there were many Webbies. So much sure. like much like a parent that. Uh, uh, but this is uh, the OG Webby. <laughs> he, clearly, uh, also he will play Gildor's one music, which was a lovely surprise. Yeah, some uh, Gildor's one music that has not up until this point been available in Guild Wars 2, which is very cool. And it keeps playing past your home instance, which is also kinda cool. Also. Jukebox. Jukebox, yeah. He's a jukebox. He's a jukebox. It's great. That's pretty cool. Anyway, so yeah, so you get the you do some sort of little they don't even really he, puzzles, but you He helps you you tell him um that you can take him out and he's the one that gives grants you access to Zin's vaults. You right. know, if we're following the story. So yeah. Right, and so then you go to these vaults, you release these druids, and they're like, oh, yeah, thanks, all right, I guess I'll help you. I heard about you on the wind. 
Da da. Yeah, I just I just grabbed on the the you know the old Windernet and uh, <laughs> you know found out what's going on. Uh, yeah, I liked so- the uh, the effect of the wind voice, by the way, too. When the druids are speaking to you, and it's just this really deep, booming voice. It's just like you were hearing a voice on the wind, and then it plays an audio line, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I was also kind of pleasantly surprised because I've been I've been out of game a lot and had, haven't even really completed the last two releases. So I'm not up with what's on the gem store and stuff. So I'm seeing people go around in this zone and they've got this green circle around them. I'm like, oh, is that like a new glider effect? But as you know, you're getting the blessing from the druids that goes around. I'm like, I'm like, oh, cool. I get this too. And I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will also admit that I have not been paying attention to the gem store at the very least. And so when I logged into this map, since it has an abundance of gliding areas, I was definitely startled by some of the extremely large glider skins yeah. that some people have uh, now. The raven one, I love it. You guys know that that thing is made for me, right? Like a raven spirit glider for my yes. guardian named raven spirit with Nevermore, right? I had to have it. But I love that thing to death, and it is still obnoxiously huge. It is way too big, and it probably shouldn't have, have, have existed. But I feel like they should have just there. given you that for completing something in a raid or something. Yeah, well, let's not get into a discussion about raid rewards. That's yeah. That's never a, mind then. All right, I'm different. opening a different can of worms. Yeah, but anyway, that pretty much there's not like a whole lot to say about these little mini uh, druid encounters. They, I mean, they were fine, but uh, really, then the the other meat of the I will say story is um, the end. Go I liked on. it better than the previous trend of like go around to each heart in the zone uh, and yeah, like check out an NPC or do the heart worse like before you could progress. I liked this way better. It still mm-hmm. took me on a tier of the zone. Like it still accomplished the same thing, but I was way more engaged and yeah, I agree. didn't feel like it was a complete waste of my time before I could com- like progress the story before. Uh, oh yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't mean that disparagingly more just that there wasn't a lot to talk about, but I definitely agree that it's a much better implementation than the hearts, especially if you did what I did with the previous story instance where, or the previous living chapter where I just jumped straight into the map and went around and explored and did all the hearts. And then the story was like, Hey, by the way, also, would you do a bunch of the heart tasks? And I'm like, no, I already did them. <laughs> uh, which is partly my own fault, but this is definitely a much better implementation. So I was definitely glad to see that, that change. I was sort of dreading the go do all the hearts as part of the, part of the story again so that was that was good but anyway you get blessed so that you can go into the volcano and then you well, dive into as the volcano. you're as you're doing this you're in communication with timey and she realizes that maybe her machine wasn't such a great idea because after she ran a simulation um she decided that perhaps you know if she puts these drag energies against each other it looks like everything's just gonna go kaboom Oh, yeah, I also wanted to mention, it's kind of funny, I think I accidentally aborted a bunch of that dialogue because she played a new one immediately after you uh, get one of the druid blessings, and sort of my immediate reaction was, I get the druid blessing, and then I waypoint towards the next one, and so she'd be like, uh, commander, waypoint, and then it would just, like, cut off. Aww. (laughs) So I actually missed a whole bunch of Timey's dialogue during that, I kind of completely forgot about Uh, that. Did you get to see the cutscene, though? I did, but that happens... I think in the instance, or right before... Oh, no, that that happens when you go talk to Tiny. She, like, hops out of the submarine down on the the bottom floor, 
and she's she's sort of talking to me and continuing this conversation that I didn't really have because I accidentally waypointed out of it. Um, but yeah, does so she does she, play that cutscene. She pops in when you're in the instance. She, I'm confused. Uh, she she shows up by the um, by the submarine at the very first waypoint. Oh, I don't think I went and talked to her there. I just saw her in the instance. Okay. It might be optional. Um, yeah, so she pops up there, and you can talk to her, and she, she plays the cinematic. Did you see that cinematic with the... Yes, I did see a cinematic. Okay. Well, maybe maybe it just happens at the beginning of the instance, and I sort of combined the two, because I sort of did them back-to-back. I don't recall. Anyway. But, yeah, there was this, in- this cutscene that was sort of reusing some assets that we'd already seen in cutscene form with regard to Omad's machine, mm-hmm. uh, because we got that image of <sighs> energy circling around Tyria, but it's not Tyria as much as it's Tyria on in a planar state than a physical state. I think. Right. And, and there's, there's always been strong connections to um, the dragons and potentially the human gods, although that was sort of less substantiated, but definitely with the dragons and the coloring of them. And, and even Timey says, you know, God of war and fire absorbing Jormag, not Jormag, um, Primordius. Yeah, she says that line somewhere in there. It might have been previous to this, but yeah. Yeah, and so we already sort of have seen this imagery before when it sort of depicted Zaitan dying and then sort of on the opposite side of the grid, the one that corresponded to Mordremoth flaring up and, um, you know, sort of engulfing the planet, which, so that's sort of how we learned of the the big bad problem with Mordramoth and sort of the impact of of killing one of the dragons and so in in this version we saw the power sources ostensibly aligned with Primordus and Jormag clashing with one another and then pretty much just blowing everything up <laughs> is that would you say it's a, an apt yeah. description yeah. yeah i think that sounds sounds good it yeah. makes me wonder though now we're talking about tying, you know, god powers to uh, dragons, one to one. A prim- not primordial. Mordremoth was uh, plant and mind, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and, doesn't really tie quite to the gods one to one. It doesn't. Yeah, but mind- my favorite. Uh, my f- I think my favorite thing that I've ever like picked up a book in this game and read was the. There's one in the Priory which. Uh, there was always that theory that like the gods and the dragons uh, either were the same or correlated or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's straight up a book in the Priory Special Collections that's like, uh, paraphrasing here, but theories that pair the gods and the dragons are baseless and stupid. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> it was you know written properly, not paraphrased, mm-hmm. but it essentially confirmed that people who are on that line of speculation were were tinfoil. But yeah, if, or it was the greatest misdirection. That's just what they want you to think. It's just what they want Maybe. you to think. So the uh, mind would be the closest thing. Not the closest thing. I guess Kralkator crystal stuff. But mind to me mex- connects to Mesmer's somewhat at least. Yeah. So if if the Mordremoth's power is now dispersed to the world, does Lissa have? Did she absorb some of that? Lissa and S or whatever. And now they're super powered, and Balthazar's jealous. He's like, "I'm gonna go get, I'm gonna get Primordius's. Lissa, you're gonna help me." I mean, realistically, Spirit is right. It doesn't, it doesn't really line up because Grenth would pretty obviously be the god of uh, death, which would be Jormag, but also like who would be 
who would be or did I say Jormag? You said Jormag, yeah, but, but I think you meant but, uh, Death in Zaitan, but Ice, which is Ice is Zaytan. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. I, Ice is Jormag, but yeah Death Death being Zaitan would pretty clearly be Grenth, but um, but then who maps to Ice because that's also Grenth's domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously Balthazar with Primordis is a pretty easy connection, but as you said, like the the mind i feel like is sort of equally kralkatoric and yeah mordramoth and mordramoth like if i had to map mordramoth to a god i would probably say malandru because of like nature planty growth mm-hmm. but even so like yeah it, it it really doesn't it doesn't it really doesn't carry over i just always thought it was interesting that there was the same number i guess but <sighs> boy yeah we're getting far afield here <laughs> yeah Sort of. Shall we uh, cover the final instance and then we can bunny trail off into whatever we want because we covered everything that we wanted to cover? Yeah. Uh, so you, having prepared yourself through the help of the druids, um, enter the heart of the volcano. Um, and you find that Balthazar has beaten you here. He sent a, a bunch of wards. And you... Uh, discover that timey has rebuilt scruffy in like the most adorable way possible because it has a bigger window so that you can see her inside scruffy better and it's super cute and she's got a luxury seat yeah that's what makes it better is that you can see timey better not that uh scruffy actually has any new abilities i don't know he just he doesn't she doesn't really do anything there other she than hasn't been able to put weapons on resistant. it yet <laughs> yes just sure. resistant um yeah, so Timey comes with you, and you make your way down. Oh, when like the coolest thing about this instance, and I'm, I, yeah, I just thought it was fabulous. They reverse the direction of gliding in this instance. So essentially, um, every part of this instance is an updraft because it's in a very hot volcano, uh, which is really cool. I'm glad that they built a whole instance predicated on a mechanic that you know doesn't happen anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have, so you have infinite sort of upward upward thrust slash gliding yeah yeah pretty cool um you uh with timey's help figure out how to destroy the barriers by gliding around and scanning things and then like throwing its own energy back i at it. really liked that now I remember back when shadow of the dragon was out and we talked about how uh I think it, if I remember correctly, we talked about how you know killing the dragon in the entrance to the Golden City back when we tracked down Kate again. Um, really felt like um, you know a, a Zelda game. We kept comparing it to that, mm-hmm. and it it didn't feel for me. And I know it's much simpler the the, the mechanics of you know um, dropping the energy and opening the gates, um, opening the wards rather. Um, was much simpler. But for me playing it, I didn't feel like I was playing um, Guild Wars in a good way. Um, I felt like it was finally gliding was finally tight and where they wanted it. Everything um, reacted and did what I thought it should do while it was happening. I didn't feel like I was flying through something I needed to grab um, and not grabbing it. It was everything was there and I enjoyed it so much. I just felt like it's kind of weird. There's no bug, so I felt like I wasn't playing a Guild Wars game. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Shots well, fired. Um, um, <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I. I liked it overall. I did feel like maybe it was an issue of visual clutter. I was having a hard time sort of uh, in the final part of the fight, which we'll which we'll get to in a second, mm-hmm. but sort of 
gliding and trying to see these things amongst this super shiny cavern, which we should also talk about the visual effect. Oh, yeah, place. once you said that, I love the shiny cavern. I mean, it was so nice to see something um, new, even though, you know, there's a lot of recycled um, uh, our, our assets and stuff um, from uh, Hot. It was nice to see something new, and it just fit in, and it was cool. I, I liked it. Just, I was drawn to it. It looked cool, and the spiral up, yeah, I liked it a lot. So I wanted to ask you guys, what material do you think that shiny stuff is supposed to be? Because it doesn't really look like molten metal to me. It looks like finely polished copper. Yeah, I I wasn't certain, but like I guess I would say it would be like obsidian, but it's lit up. But it's it can't be because it's it's glowing from the outside, right? So it's not just the fire on obsidian. Yeah, it's being obsidian though. Um, I'm just gonna go with this, you know, off the cuff theory. What if it's the remains of um, Mersat buildings, and it's just kind of put there? And since the Ooh, um, since like the that. whatchamacallit, since the dru- the druids are you know all about nature and reclaiming things, they've they put it back into the earth type deal. Um, and this is completely off the cuff right now. I don't know how that holds water. Well, I mean, even even then, it could just be superheated Mersat ruins. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting point. Anyway, but the the cavern was, shall we say, quite glowy and with fire and explosions everywhere. I sort of had a hard time visually locating the um, the energy things in the last fight only, and then also sort of executing, flying and dropping them onto the corpses while everything was exploding. Um, it was like really hard to tell which which of the bosses I was supposed to be hitting for me for sometimes, but uh, yeah, I overall I thought the mechanic was was pretty well executed, and they did a good job of sort of building you up, you know, one step at a time of like, okay, so you got to catch this thing in the air and then do this thing, and then it was like, okay, now you got to catch this thing in the air and hit targets with it, and then it was okay, now you've got to kill some enemies and then catch this thing in the air and then hit you know and then catch two of them in the air and then hit yeah Um, it felt like they finally achieved something with gliding that they hadn't before to me and i really liked i hope they they um keep doing things with um you know gliding to this degree where it seems to work that well and maybe it's just because you always had an updraft i mean i was so annoyed in the mordremoth fight um that i wasn't able to catch an updraft um when I thought I could have. Maybe that was part of it. That was always an updraft. Maybe that's why I said it felt so good, but I, I liked it. Yeah, anyway. So, um, yeah, the mechanic, mechanic was strong. Uh, Story-wise, story how did you guys feel about sort of the... Um, I don't know. I guess there wasn't really any revelations, but like, how did it feel well, for you guys becoming face-to-face with Primordis? That was huge for me. I honestly... For some reason, and you know, like Balthazar is really interesting lore-wise, but for some reason, I totally gravitated towards Primordis, and I, I think, I felt like uh, when I played through the first time, I understood that we were getting closer to Primordis, but I didn't expect to actually see him. And so when I dropped through the floor, and there's a big old dragon snoot um, right in my field of vision, I totally forgot about everything that Balthazar was doing and I was like oh are we fighting that oh my god like I was just so ready to I I I honed in on him and that was that was probably the most exciting part of the episode for me was actually seeing Primordis um and I even I like I tried to fly over to him right away I tried to scan him I tried to to you know I wanted to to punch him I wanted to fight the dragon except Um, we don't 
Yeah, which is really unfortunate. Um, and I've got more to say about that, I guess, at the end of the instance. But um, yeah, I just it, it totally blew me away. It was very, very cool to see. I never expected to see a dragon in the living story oh, yeah, for some yeah. reason. I just, for in my mind, that's like an expansion exclusive thing. So actually having one there just absolutely blew me out of the water. And I was so excited to see that and so disappointed when uh, it didn't really come to anything, but it was a very cool, visually striking thing of like uh, literally uh, the god of fire and war going up against the, the nature, like fire itself is Primordius, right? Uh, very cool. How about you, Robin? I felt the same, but then I realized he was catatonic, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I I actually, so I don't mean to be mean here, but I thought that the sort of visage of the dragon was actually kind of unimpressive. It actually just sort of looked exactly like the maw from the lion's arch jumping puzzle <laughs> to me. Like, uh, I didn't make that connection, but yeah, you're totally right. Um, like it just didn't. I, I mean, maybe it's just because I didn't get to like see anything more than the snout. It just looked sort of like rocks. Um, Did he have? Was that his whole head, or was that just the snout? Like I couldn't. Uh, I could see his eyes. I don't know if you could see his whole head. I, okay, yeah, I, I was I was looking at it after I played the second time, and I couldn't make out like what was. Is it a nostril or is that an eye? I'm not sure. It's good if it was like half of the snout and the rest of his head was under the volcano and like it was just his nose picking like like a crocodile or something poking up to breathe or if it was uh his whole head and i should be able to see eyes somewhere but i just couldn't quite make them out because it's a molten lava being yeah i I will say at least it's not like a giant chicken like the great destroyer um that's a guild wars one reference folks yeah um but uh, yeah, anyway, I, I was uh, a little underwhelmed by the visual design of of the Primordus snout, but it didn't really hamper my enjoyment of sort of the story moment, if that makes sense. I think I, I too was very surprised to see us interacting with and in some ways dealing with a dragon in living story. It felt like it was the first time, well, maybe not the first time, but one of the most major ways that they fulfilled the original vision of the living world that we were sold all the way back in the very beginning of the game because originally living world was pitched as basically a a way that they could potentially not even have to do expansions and you know they were talking about saying like well we don't have to you know anything that comes in an expansion could be released in in parts right so you can get maps in parts you can get a new skills like there's there's no nothing saying that an expansion has to be the delivery mechanism for these things mm-hmm. and that never really materialized for season one and in season two it materialized a little bit with getting more maps and more replayability but they only added a couple of skills that were rapidly forgotten or or disregarded or unused uh or temporary and so a lot of those a lot of those things never materialized and the the story of the living world is and was a bridge to the expansion but having having a full like dealing with a god and dragon in living world is as you said feels very expansion worthy so you know this this really feels like they're finally able to with their workflow and with their sort of tech and with their 
planning, like really start delivering on some of those things. And the fact that we're actually getting a for realsies expansion here sometime in the next six to eight months um, is is pretty exciting. And it makes me wonder what because I would have assumed had you asked me two weeks ago that the expansion was going to be sort of the answer of what we're doing with Primordus and Jormag. And, yeah, yeah. And here we are sort of dealing with that right now. And ostensibly, we're probably going to be dealing with the Jormag issue in the next chapter because it's going to be cha- focused almost certainly on Bram and back up north due to the sort of chapter pacing that we discussed last so episode. So we thought that two dragons waking up was bad just a few chapters ago. But no, the expansion is going to have to mess with gods and dragons. Right. Or, or I mean... Yeah, I mean, who knows? It's uh, it's all on the metaphorically infinite table of mm-hmm. the internet right yeah. now, and that's which cool. is kind of it's kind of a I almost want to say hope that we haven't had for so long, and now it's like, whoa, what what's going to happen? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, also, I put in the show notes ten bucks says Bram screws up our plans with Jormag. Um, anyway, I want to. I have a little faith in Bram, so I'm yeah, I can take that bet. What's the over-under on Bram dying? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I wouldn't be uh, surprised. So, yeah, Balthazar is, like, sucking up Jormag and Primordus energy, though, isn't he? That's what's going on there? Well, he's sucking up Jormag, or Primordus' energy right now, but we I don't know that we know what his plan is for... So... Well, simultaneous the... there, I thought he was doing both. Am I mistaken? Um, I'm not sure if he was absorbing both. I suspect primarily Primordus. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but whatever happened with the machine when it explodes at the end, um, Taimi says that the levels of magic and Primordus and Jormeg both have gone, or well, she knows Primordus has gone to back to pre-awakening levels um, and assumes that the same has happened to Jormeg. So, and this, this is the part where I kind of was upset. But before uh, that, real quick, I thought it was sure. kind of cool that Balthazar sicked his hounds on us. You know, his, we've known about them ever since beginning Balthazar early, and he's like, "I'm busy, you know, sucking up dragon energy. Um, you guys, doggies, take care of this." Anyway. Yep. Uh, no, I thought that was cool too. I just uh, my train of thought went round backwise. Um, yeah. So the the disappointing part to me is that it seems like uh, not. We haven't built up to a culmination where we're going to actually deal with the dragons and then, like, the Primordus and Jormag arc is over. It just seems like either we put a pin in it at a disappointing time or they're just back to pre-awakening levels and we're not ever really going to fight them is what it feels like right now. And there's no... Um, I think we just don't have enough information to know really either way um, what like the, the intention is or whether we'll deal with them again yet. But it feels to me like this is it for now. And anything we're going to do with Primordus and Jormeg is uh, not coming soon, I guess I will say. Except to maybe wrap up what what's happening with Bram. Hmm. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what's coming. I <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, the this this episode was as as they said, uh, this episode was was huge and covered a lot of story points. So, it's 
it's a pretty big it's been a pretty big step and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where things go and and hard to predict because the scope of the scope of what they are willing to do has uh clearly increased from mm-hmm. our experiences oh boy um you know we're already almost at an hour and a half do yeah. you guys uh have anything you're dying to talk about this week uh with regards to the story or other things or do we want to maybe put a pin in it here and continue talking about other things next week i, I think we're good on story does anyone have anything else i'm a little curious about what you were saying earlier um Grabok, about um contrast issues in the last fight and you know just all how, how that all worked oh i mean visual it just, contrast there was just a lot going on visually i mean yeah mm-hmm. I just had a hard time with the two giant hounds of Balthazar, like sort of running all over on top of each other, but like also with a laser beam sort of front and center in your screen Uh and fiery lava everywhere and explosions and like sort of trying to control myself to find to find the two sparks and then like in time to then drop them onto the corpse, but then they were sort of just like both looking up at me and so it was sort of hard to tell which one was actually mm-hmm. the corpse and then like yeah I, that's I that's weird because i i feel like if um anyone's gonna have that problem it should be because i have very light sensitive eyes and um contrast issues sometimes anyway but i maybe i was just enjoying it so much that i i didn't notice that i don't know that's that's cool i mean it's interesting and it's weird to me that i didn't i didn't feel like because usually that's how i feel when i'm playing games with light contrast issues and if there's laser beams and stuff going on too much brightness but yeah i didn't experience that 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 fascinates me that i didn't have that issue yeah and i don't know if it's common i haven't seen anybody else really complain about it so maybe i was just uh you know you know maybe i was just tired or in a bad you know mental space to make those discernments well you know or, your or your god may have just turned on you so i guess no one can blame you there i'm yeah i guess <laughs> <laughs> uh warmongering and then you then he says war isn't isn't worth it and you're like oh my gosh what kind of a warmonger am i war never changes <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay cool do we have a cast cast or i have one more thing okay go go legendary armor's in the game oh, wait it's, wait okay i forgot about that and i want to know do you have legendary armor now I do have legendary armor. I made it okay. uh, within an hour and a half of the patch. Did you have? I had set up. I had set up everything the night before. I had everything that I needed to forge in my inventory split into the exact stacks that I needed to forge them, uh, which took up my whole inventory because I was making six pieces of legendary armor, and I had. Uh, so recently, I've discovered that you can make a permanent mystic forge for yourself for about forty-five gold. Uh, which I hadn't realized before, and that is uh, expensive for a lot of people if you don't want to use the Mystic Forge a lot, but for me, it's not a ton of money, and it just seemed like a cool item to have. So I made one of those, and I just straight up made my Legendary Armor right in the raid where I got the last collection item, which was very cool. That was one yeah, of the things that sold me That's not me too on bad. That's item. like a month of dailies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's that's, not too bad if you've got That's crazy. When did that income. price come down so much? I don't know. I think it was always pretty low. The It was not low at the start. Well, I think it's been low for a while. There's a... You can buy them on the trading post. It's like a box that drops an item, uh, an account-bound contract for you. But uh, if you craft it yourself, it just takes about 
Uh, it's 50 mystic coins and a bunch of junk items that come from ecto gambling. I don't know if just because like the overall level of wealth has gone up in the game, more people have ecto gambling, but the it's it's 50 mystic coins and three items that cost less than 50 silver on the trading mm-hmm. post in junk like junk quote unquote items. So it's basically the cost of the the mini the mystic coins to make that item. So did but they you sell do... for like two seventy or something gold on the trading post? So it's oh. not a good deal to just buy it, craft it yourself if you're going to do that. Did you go for light, medium, or heavy? It took a lot of thought, but I ended up going for medium. I it is the set that I like visually the least, unfortunately. Oh. But the big thing that was selling me on it was stat swapping, and I play a ton of druid. I have some great ideas for build crafting on Druid. I want to play my Druid more in the open world, and playing with clerics and Magi's gear in the open world is an absolute slog. So mm. the yeah, the big thing that sold me on it was was the stat swapping instead of the skin, unfortunately. But um, I have the disposable income and insights that I will probably be getting all three sets eventually. I have all three precursor sets already because it wasn't that expensive. It, so in in the grand scheme of things like in the, in the gold cost it wasn't that expensive right now for me to make it um but it was the culmination of 300 boss kills for me to do this right so like all the time yeah. i spent on those bosses all the all the gearing all the food all the effort everything just came together for me in this last week for a full set of legendary armor and a full set of light and heavy ascended armor which is very cool. It was so satisfying to have that moment of um, all the work I've been doing. I mean, and you guys know that I, I raid for the enjoyment and not the rewards, but it was still cool to have a tangible item for all of this effort that I've been putting in. So, cool. yeah, it was so a big how, moment for me. How is the, I'm not really familiar about the process of getting legendary armor. Are you going to have to continue to make raid boss kills to get that um, light and heavy set eventually? What what do you have to do to get and make another set of legendary armor? Once you have it, you can purchase recipes for another precursor from any of the armor vendors. And oh, okay. precursor res- the precursor armors are crafted about the same as any normal ascended armors, except mm-hmm. where you would put in, say, a Zoja's insignia. Mm-hmm. You put in an envoy insignia, and envoy insignias cost you twenty five legendary insights. So if you have, um, if you've completed up to the second collection of raids, you can essentially, for every 25 boss kills, produce a very cheap piece of ascended gear. They cost like maybe 15 15 gold in mats Mm. to craft and 25 boss kills. Um, So that's how you get the precursor armor, and then you upgrade it just like you would upgrade your normal precursor armor to the legendary, where you put in the... Abby shards and the Mystic Clovers and your T6 mats, and you can you can upgrade them one by one. So, I made the two precursor sets, and then my long-term goal for raids will just be to upgrade the sets, the the pieces that I like to legendary armor as I as I feel like it. Awesome. Well, congrats. Um, I'm not particularly surprised that you already have it, but it's still cool that uh, you're probably the first people person people the first person in our guild to have it. I'm sure. 
I think Vesti beat me, but that's only because oh. the patch dropped at like Ars o'clock in New Zealand. Oh. It dropped at like four in the morning. Well, if it was and anyone, I woke up at five thirty because the wind was howling, but the wind alerted me to the fact that Vesti had legendary armor, <laughs> and I could not let that slide. New so Zealand I hopped in our was... secret ventrilo, and I plotted against her. New Zealand was wailing that Vesti had beat you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Do we have anything else? I mean, we have so much else, but oh, I think this is, yeah. this is For a good spot time. to cut it off because I think we've mostly covered sort of the story implications thus far without getting into any of the map collections and events and uh, all that jazz and the mastery. I mean, yeah, we, we've got tons of stuff to talk about, but I think this is probably a good point to, to stick a pin in it for this episode. So uh, without a cast cast, then uh, I guess that's that's going to be it. So thank you, you two, for joining me. And thank you, everybody that's listened to this long one. And we will be back next week-ish. This has been another episode of Relics of War. If you want to get in touch with us, you can check out our website and forums at relicsofwar.com, email us at relicsofwar at gmail.com, or find us on your favorite social media site just by searching Relics of ORR. If you'd like to join us in-game, you can send a whisper or in-game mail to Spiritface, or drop us a note on Twitter or our website and say hi. Lastly, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, feel free to leave us a comment and the rating you feel we deserve.